What's going on, lacrosse fan? My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. This week, we talk to New England Black Wolves captain Andrew Suter. We talk 0-6 in the 6 and overtime winner. All this week on OTCB. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Again, my name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. Two simple ways. You can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty much on there all day long, at Off the Crossbar. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Again, always love hearing from fans. And I even hear from players. It's great. Future, current, past, whatever you want to talk about, my lines of communication are always open for you another interesting week uh, maybe even some prizes in the national lacrosse league after week seven one thing is for sure colorado is for real after an incredible back-to-back weekend of impressive victories one home one on the road two overtime thrillers as new england sends toronto to zero and six and rochester steals one from the vancouver stealth in overtime as jammer plays hero at the b C-A. Lots of things to talk about, so let's get right into things. We'll get to our man of the week later on. It comes from that Rochester-Colorado game, and it may not be who you think. But as we look back at what was Week 7, it started on Thursday, a midweek game. Saskatchewan goes to Colorado, and Colorado and, and Saskatchewan play a very very tight defensive game. Colorado ends up taking it 9-7, and they improved at the time to 5-2. And, and then two days later, they would go on the road and beat Colorado, sorry, it beat Calgary 13-8 as Colorado continues to separate themselves from everybody in the West. They are now a game and a half ahead of Saskatchewan, two and a half ahead of Calgary in three full games ahead of the Vancouver Stealth. The way Colorado is winning, you know, early on it was uh, shootouts going back and forth right to the bitter end, and then they start playing great offense and their defense shores up, and now we're starting to see a mix of both things. Uh, A tight defensive game one night, and then a 13-goal outburst the next, and they still hold Calgary to eight. They held Saskatchewan to seven two nights earlier. So their defense is there. They're starting to get the offense, and Callum Crawford is slowly starting to emerge into an elite player in the National Lacrosse League. Has he been elite before? Maybe not. He's been great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Mr. Showtime has been everything short of fantastic uh, in his time in the National Lacrosse League. He dealt with some injuries last year, which saw him uh, not finish the rest of the year with Minnesota, who's now moved to Georgia. And then... He was a free agent pickup by Colorado, and he's fit in seamlessly. Eight games, 49 points, leading the league in assists with 34. And he's one point back at Dane Smith. But there's one small thing. Dane Smith has only played six games. Callum Crawford has played eight games. 
Now, Sean Evans also played 16th, and he's eight points back of Dane Smith. But earlier in the year when I was kind of doing a, a season preview and talking about things to look forward to in 2016, I said that I didn't think that Sean Evans' 130 that he registered last year was going to be touched for a while. It still may not, but Dane Smith just so happens to be on pace for a 150-point season. That's right. Can you just, just fathom that? Like, he's a third of the way through his season. He has 50 points. And if he keeps up the pace that he's on, he will have 150 points by the end of the year. Now, when Sean Evans had 14 more points than the old record that he broke, you know, that was a big jump, 116 to 130. That's a pretty big jump in the grand scheme of things. But to do it by 20 more points, if Dane doesn't, would just be incredible. And I talk about Callum Crawford starting to become an elite player. Dane Smith is an elite player. Probably Curtis Dixon... Curtis Dixon may have one of the best first steps in the NLL. Dane Smith has the best split dodge in the NLL. By far. And I've talked about it before. It's just so clean and so smooth. You never really know which way he's going. Top side, underneath, backdoor pivot, step back, shoot, whatever he wants to do. And he's been getting the job done. And he's got a good group around him. He got he had Ryan Banesh back in last weekend. But he's just so smooth. And Callum Crawford's the same way. You know, there, there may be similarities between their two games, but different body types. Callum's a lot slighter than Dane is. But Callum is just so good in the air. Like, they call him Mr. Showtime, but he's starting to become a human highlight reel with some of these goals that he's scoring every week, launching from the side of the crease. And instead of diving parallel to the ground, he sort of jumps perpendicular, which gives him a lot more net to shoot at. And it's nearly impossible for goaltenders to stop him unless they get a pad on it because he just has such an uncanny ability to score incredible goals. And he seems to be doing it on a weekly basis. So Colorado is on a very, very upward trend. And you have to admit and probably say that they are seven weeks in, the favorites. You can go ahead and say that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying a team is the best team in the NLL. Why is why wouldn't that be? I'm having a conversation with myself. But six and two, and they at times they look like they're in trouble, but they're able to right the ship. And a lot of the credit has to do with the three-headed hydra of Dan Stroop, Chris Gill, and Pat Coyle. That group of coaching has done a remarkable job getting everybody on the same page, being able to control the emotions on the bench and the egos on that bench and lead them into a league-best 6-2 and two record. Uh, they were without Adam Jones on Thursday, 
because he couldn't get away from his teaching job back home in Ontario. Which is something we may start to see more and more of if the league has to start going to these midweek games. Because guys just can't get away. Not everybody can get away from work, especially teachers. Firefighters, you know, the firefighting community is one of the biggest um, professions in lacrosse. And they do an incredible job of working with each other to pick up shifts and cover shifts just so that they can get away from games. It's not that easy for a teacher. It's not that easy at all. So uh, the Mammoth did it without Adam Jones. They got the job done. Two huge wins. Uh, they didn't have them Thursday. But they had them on Saturday. Uh, the Vancouver at Rochester game was fantastic. Um, back and forth all game long. Uh, Vancouver looked to be in control, and, and as I was watching that game, you could see the game plan of Vancouver. Ball movement, outside shots around screens to beat Matt Vince. And it was working. And it's not too often that you see Vino chased from a game. Well, he was. And Angus Goodleaf came in. And Angus Goodleaf was fantastic. I talked about David DeRuscio, uh last week. And how well he played as he got the start over Cause two weeks ago. DeRuscio got the start again for Buffalo and was great. I think he and Angus Goodleaf are the easily, easily, no offense, Mikey Pula, because I actually think Pooh can be a starter as well. So there's your three. There's, but Goodleaf and DeRuscio haven't really ever gotten the shot to be a true number one. Poulin's had it. He can get it back. I think one expansion comes, Angus Goodleaf, Mikey Poulin, and David DeRuscio are going to be the three guys that get picked up the quickest, if not before the end of this year. But Goodleaf came in in relief of Matt Vince and just gave his team, you know, just that calming factor and he was able to settle the troops down make some big saves when needed and allowed his team to slowly get back into the game and they did I think they were down 8-3 at one point and they were able to slowly claw back and slowly claw back and slowly claw back just enough to force overtime in what was an incredible final minute where Dawson scored with, I think, 16 seconds left. And then six seconds later, Dutchie scored for Vancouver to tie it up at 15 to force overtime. Both teams had great chances in overtime. Penny made a huge save on Jammer, I think, just before. Jameson scores the game winner. And it sounded like this. Back and forth. Jameson, right wing side against Beers. Looking. Spin move. Looks, fire, scores! Cody Jamison ends it in overtime, 16 to 15. So there's the overtime winner from Cody Jamison. But as I mentioned, I think the, the big story coming out of that game was the play, not just, not just the play of Angus Goodley, because Eric Penny played a heck of a lacrosse game, and he deserved to get a win in that game. 
and I've been critical of of Penny before, not thinking that he was ready, but ever since Doug Locker put full 100% faith in him after revolving everything around the Tyler Richards situation, once he said, you know what, Eric, whether we have Tyler or not, you are our guy. Penny's played great. You know, yeah, he gave up 16 goals, but you can't blame him because he just did an incredible job once again and in holding the fort. You know, there was a, a moment for all of five seconds where Dan Perot pulled Penny, gave him a quick breather, put him right back in. I don't think they were ever going to let Tyler Richards play a lot of that game unless Penny got hurt. Richards just hasn't seen enough balls to make me feel comfortable to put him in that yet. It's not my team, but I think Vancouver would like to see him a few more times before they say, okay, you know what, you're going to get some quality minutes here. But Angus Goodleaf was just so good. And for that reason, he is the man. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe every As mentioned, it's not too rare that Matt Vince gets pulled in a game, but he only lasted 23 minutes as Angus Goodleaf came in and played 44-plus, only allowed seven goals on 36 shots, makes 29 saves, 11 in the fourth quarter for his first action of the year. And he was solid, he was steady, and he was one of the big reasons that the Nighthawks won that game. Didn't get a game star, but this week, no doubt about it, Gus Angbang is the man. He was so good that, you know, a lot of people were like, wow, like the play of Angus Goodleaf. But what doesn't surprise a lot of people, especially in that locker room, is that he was able to do it. And one guy that wasn't surprised at all was Cody Jamison. Oh, he's our backup goalie, but I think, you know, he's a, he's a guy who I've seen come in and uh, win games a lot before. You know, I uh, coached the Iroquois national team at the Worlds this past year, and he was our starting goalie there. And I think... Uh, you know, I think he showed a lot of people that he can play if uh, if you had any doubters before. Um, I've, I've said it for a while. I think we got the best one-two punch. You know, we don't get the credit for it, but um, it's because uh, Vino's so good that, you know, uh, Gussie barely gets any action. So there's Jammer post-game. Uh, he scores the game winner, and I couldn't find the clip. I don't know where it went, but it was part of that interview where he was talking about Goodleaf, and he said that he was just absolutely gassed when he scored that goal. Um He's, he had just made a sprint down the floor, and he had to go all the way back on D and then play it all the way back into the offensive shift. And if you go back and you can watch the video, go to NLL.com. Uh, they have a bunch of the, the short little videos and, and goals from the past weekend, and they show the Jamison goal for overtime. And just, just watch his reaction after he scores. He is absolutely gassed. Like, yeah, he gives a couple high fives, and he gets a hug from Dawes. But you can just see how tired he is when you just look at his face. And that's just 
the case of a guy putting it all out on the line and leaving it all on the field. And his goal was just an incredible shot. On his strong side, but a rounder defender, twister, far side, gets Penny going the other way, was just phenomenal. There were a couple other games we haven't quite touched on. The the Buffalo-Georgia game, where Dane Smith, like I said, just took over that game. And Georgia didn't really, was never in that game. Never once. Never once were they a threat to the Buffalo Bandits. And there was a Sunday game. They said there was just under 5,000 fans there, which is great. Didn't look like it, but sometimes those big arenas, if people are just kind of jammed in the middle, not in the end zones, um, crowds can be deceiving. But Georgia's going to have to figure their stuff out pretty quick because they just go right back at it against Buffalo this weekend. And then the other game uh, was the Toronto-New England game, which as good as the Vancouver-Rochester game was, because at the time, it was one of the best games I'd seen. That Toronto-New England game, let me tell you, that was fantastic. Like, fantastic. And the resolve of Toronto to battle back just like the resolve of Rochester to battle back against Vancouver. And everything that Toronto has gone through. Like, going into that game, off a two-week bye, getting Josh back, uh, a bit of a change in the coaching staff as Lattisseur was out and Matty Sawyer comes in. And then you go and you play New England on the road. And your offense puts up 16 but you give up 17, and then you lose in overtime. Like, that's heartbreaking. And after everything they've been through, that's got to be the toughest loss of them all. And general manager Jamie Dowick was none too pleased, as you can imagine. But when you look at the video that's on YouTube that The Rock posted, and I'm going to play a, a clip of him um, a little bit later. But when you, you just look at him, and he just looks exhausted. He looks like Jameson after that final goal, but in a different sort of exhausted. He just looks defeated. He, he, he doesn't have an answer. He, he doesn't know what to do with his lacrosse club. And, like, I feel for him. I said it in our winners and losers this week on IL Indoor. Like, I feel for Jamie Dowick. Because I don't know if there is a solution. Because, you know, there's trades to be made. I just don't know if teams are willing to trade with Toronto. And these were the thoughts of Jamie Dowick after the game on that topic. What's the plan here moving forward with, uh, you know, will, are you looking at making more changes, trying to shake things up? Or is I'm all ears. I'm all ears. I'm not... Uh, I'm not delusional. I'm not sitting, you know, if I have an opportunity to, to make this team better, in my opinion, I'll do it. And if that means making trades or releasing guys and bringing guys in, you know, well, those those discussions will happen. So um, I'm not I'm not watching this every week, uh, you know. I, I, at least I'm not going to sit here and stand pat and watch it. So, uh, you know, guys make their own bed. We'll, we'll see what happens. So there's Dowick. And like I said, he just, 
if you if you watch the 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 video of that interview, he just you can feel the pain and anguish in his heart, and he wants to make this team better. But I honestly believe, like heart of hearts, think that this team needs to be gutted. It needs to be rebuilt, and there are some strong pieces to build around. But I think they need to get younger fast and they need to start acquiring draft picks. And I I think they really need to look at their whole system from top down. Again, this is no offense to Jamie Dowick because I respect the hell out of the guy and I enjoy our talks whenever we talk uh, on this show or in person or on phone calls. But I truly believe that he needs to step back from his general manager role. I've said this before. But he needs to step away from being the GM and find somebody who can get the job done. Because he's too involved. He's too hands-on. And he needs to be able to step back and just be the president slash owner. Stay out of the locker rooms. Um and just let the coaching staff and a GM do their job and get it done. Because unfortunately, you know, he was put in a great position from T in all the moves that he made, and then he made a couple moves uh, last year. But unfortunately, the Garrett Billings thing hasn't worked out. When you look at it, it was Billings and then Crowley, and now they got Lintner, and he's been in and out of the lineup. Lintner's going to be a good lacrosse player, don't get me wrong. But he's never going to be a Billings or a Crowley. And the team has just constantly gotten older and slower, and it's costing them. And I just, I don't know if a new GM right away is going to be able to change things around, but I think you need to get a guy in there that's got his fingers in a lot of the lacrosse pools out there and has a good relationship with a lot of the other general managers and can find a way to help turn this team around. Because, you know, 0-6 isn't dead to rights. Look at Calgary last year. And I know a lot of people say, well, yeah, Calgary was in a different position. They had a completely different team, and, and they were able to make some changes and move from there. Sure. But this Toronto team is veteran heavy. And they have the ability to do it. They've just lost some heartbreakers. And that's got to be weighing on a lot of those guys. So we'll have to see how things move along for the Toronto Rock and what Jamie Dabak does because, as you heard him say, you know, he's all ears. I would like him to be all phone calls and not be off of his phone until it's time to sleep for a couple hours and then recharge and get right back at it. He's got to find something to do to shake his team up. I don't know what it is. Uh, there's, there, Like I said, there are pieces for him to trade and, and move. But I don't know if if he's going to get the return that he wants. You know, you're not trading Doyle or Sanderson or Miller. You're probably not going to trade Rose. You're not trading Merrill. You're not trading Sorensen. You're probably not trading Rob Marshall. You're not trading Hickey. You're not trading Hellier. But you could. But when you look at it, how many of those guys, and I've said it on this show before, how many of those guys took hometown discounts 
to go and play in Toronto. It's unfortunate that they are in that situation. But something needs to change, and it needs to change quickly because they're 0-6, and the streaking Buffalo Bandits come to town on Friday night. And if they get to 0-7, that could be lights out for the Toronto Rock. The Rock lost to New England on Valentine's Day. The Wolves have this weekend off, and then they'll play uh, in two weeks' time against the Georgia Swarm. And they very likely, and maybe not likely, they could have their captain back, Andrew Suter. He joins us now on the show. Suits, how are you, buddy? Not too bad, Teddy. Thanks a lot for having me on. No worries, man. It's been a while since we've talked uh, publicly on this show. You and I have exchanged some uh, text messages back and forth, keeping in touch. Um, how's things? How's uh, Ontario for you? It's good. Uh, kind of a rough day today. We got hit with uh, almost a foot of snow today up about where we are. So roads are a little slow today, and the uh, plow guys are definitely earning their money today. I know uh, you spent some time in the island, so I won't rub it in that it's sunny and I'm in a shorts and T-shirts right now. Uh, the island life versus the <laughs> real life. The island life is the real life, let me tell you. Um, as mentioned, fans are excited to see you back. It's been a while since uh, you've stepped foot on a National Cross League turf. Um, what's your status and how's the knee? Uh, the knee's coming along great. Um, you know, i got to give a lot of credit to – the medical staff in New England and, you know, our GM, Rich Lisk, has uh, been very patient with me. Um, for people that know me know that uh, I was probably trying to do this injury in about six months, just trying to get back and be a part of this team that I can't wait to join. But, uh, you know, the doctors are doing their best, keeping me under wraps. Uh, I've been practicing pretty good now for about a month, almost almost five weeks now. Uh, we got a big bye week coming up this week where I get to go at it pretty good. So, uh, I would say I'm definitely close, and uh, it comes down to, you know, if I can even get in our lineup right now with the way we're playing and if, uh, you know, the doctors feel I'm ready. How how hard, much harder has it been dealing with this rehab process the second time through? Um, It's it just – it's become, uh, like, stagnant in a sense where it's like, is this really happening again? At mm-hmm. first, you don't really believe it. It's like – no, like, I just did this. I just got it fixed. Like, you just can't really believe it. But, uh, I mean, I guess I've kind of learned. I uh, had a great physiotherapist. Uh, he did wonders for me. He took care of me three, four times a week. Put up with my attitude. Put up with me when I thought I could do more. <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. So, uh, I give a lot of credit to him. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, I've learned. But at the same time, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's one of those injuries where no matter how hard you work or no matter what you do or how much physio you do, it is a, unless you're Adrian Peterson, a nine-month injury kind of thing. Yeah. Unless you're kind of a freak athlete thing or, you know, you get paid $10 million to do rehab, uh, it's a little tougher to do for some of us. But uh, it's been a process, that's for sure. So no HGH or any special treatment, just regular hard work? Just hard work and uh, a lot of time on the treadmill and uh, a lot of time getting laughed at. Cause I thought I could do more than I could, and then when you can't do it, the therapist kind of looks at you and says, "Yeah, that's why I went to school, and you're just the guy I'm fixing." So, uh, the last time we talked, when you did your knee the first time, you said that 
you had an incredible support group around you, your family, your girlfriend, your, even even your teammates were there reaching out for you. Has it been that kind of process again? Everyone's you know, rallying around you, making sure the process is, is as easy as possible for you? Yeah, I mean, the lacrosse community in a whole is, unless you're in it and unless you have a good rep, I don't want to say good reputation, unless you kind of reach out to guys, you know, when things are going good, like the amount of support I've had um, from guys all across the league, a lot of coaches, um, the family I have, it's the Peterborough Lakers, um, I mean, just constant support. And, I mean, obviously the New England guys and especially our new coaching staff, um, I mean, I have an extremely, extremely good relationship with Tracy Koloski, and mm-hmm. he was the one that was in the room with me when I found out the news, and, you know, he pulled me aside, you know, kind of tears running down my face, just not believing it, and, you know, for someone to take the time out of, you know, right before he's going to coach and try to motivate me and keep me hired this summer and working for him and stuff like that, it really goes a long way, and then the freak's been talking to me a lot, too, Billy O'Brien, I mean, you talk about a guy that Every time I wanted to get down on myself, any time I thought, you know, let's take this week off of the gym, like, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I would get just motivational text messages saying, you know, can't wait to play with you. And you see how hard that guy trained. It's yeah. Like, who am I not to get up and go to the gym? And, you know, I thought when I got traded to New England, I was, you know, ecstatic to be a part of a new family. And I feel like I kind of let them down, although I had no control over what happened. They went out and got me for a reason, and hopefully I can come back and show them there's the reason they did get me and, you know, how can I build off it and, you know, make sure they're happy about the trade they made as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of trades, you guys just picked up Jordan Hall. Uh, it's always tough to see you see guys like Quinn Palace and Mike Manley leave your team after, you know, the work that they've done over the past couple of years, but how excited were you when you heard the news that uh, Halsey was coming? Uh, I mean – like you said, uh, I mean, I lose my roommate on the road and then a kid that I've, you know, honestly fallen in love with, with Quinn. And, uh, I mean, it's really, really tough to see them go. And, you know, in order to get something, you have to give something. So it's a, definitely a compliment to Quinn and Mike's game as well. And, you know, we're ecstatic, and I'm ecstatic to have Jordan Hall. I mean, even just this Sunday, he steps up and scores a big goal from us. And the type of guy Halsey is, I know how he would have came into the lineup and he would have just been going about and you know, not stepping on toes. But when mm-hmm. it comes around here now, he's going to be a huge part of this team. And, you know, it's kind of good to have, you know, a two-headed monster over on that side now, too, that can score constantly and, you know, to mix it in with Evie and Crowley and now Saunders and him. And I'm not saying that's anything against our other old guys, but it's just that thing where it's like that's a guy you can look to at any time. And he's obviously a fantastic leader as well. We're going to talk about Evie and, and Crowley and your offense in a minute, but I want to go back and talk about Bill O'Brien because he, he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he's played some Can-Am League. He's played some Senior C, and he's been around, you know, the loop trying to, you know, get his way into the indoor game. And then when he stepped on the scene last year and he had that fight with Keogh that everyone always remembers, and, and people kind of, you know, looked at him and said, hey, you know, you got to learn the fighter code. That's not how you do it. But he has really, as you said, put in his time away from the game uh, training and learning the nuances to become uh, a regular everyday national lacrosse league player. The story um, of Bill O'Brien is incredible, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I mean, he's a two-time or three-time All-American defensive end at yeah. Sacred Heart. So, I mean, you look at someone that trained and learned the ways of Division One football, and I know a lot of people have played Division One lacrosse, but 
I'm not sure it's quite at where Division One football no. is yet. Not so, I mean, to think about the discipline that he has, and, I mean, anyone that follows him on Instagram or anyone that can grab uh, – I mean, there was a great write-up on Nike about him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how smart he is and how much work he puts in and, you know, how – he wants to grow the game, and although, like you said, he may not have been around it as much, he's just a sponge. I mean, if you, if any player talks to him, if any coach talks to him, you tell him something once, and you don't really have to talk to him about it again. Um, he's just picking it up. He loves the game, and I mean, I think we're extremely lucky to have him in New England. And I mean, as time goes, you're just going to see him grow, 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 and you know, it's actually quite lucky of us to have him come with Tuz and you know he's not anywhere else you talk about the fact that he's a sponge it really helps when you have guys like Jimmy Veltman and Glenn Clark now teaching that defensive group who are you know in relative terms a fairly young inexperienced defense with a lot of those Americans but when I talked to Clarkie and JV when they were in Vancouver to start the year they said the one thing that they liked the most was when you looked at the defensemen and the team as a whole, no eyes were wandering. Everybody was eyes on the coaches and learning and understanding and picking up the systems they were putting in place. How important has it been for that team and that defensive group to have two Hall of Famers in Bellman and Clark to teach them the game? I mean, I think their reputations as players obviously is something, but um, a lot of the time you can't always base coaching off playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you go in with an open mind, I think uh, Coach V and Clarkey have kind of exceeded those expectations. Um, like you said, you think, you know, younger coaching staff first time in, but the amount of respect that they have already and the way they speak to you, they don't speak down to you. They pick you up at all times. If you do something wrong, yeah, you did something wrong. You hear about it, but they're building you up to get you back out there. Um, I don't have enough good things to say about either of them. Uh, the way they've helped me, the way I watch them coach, the respect I see them have. The same way with Tracy up at the front door too, right? It's just mm-hmm. guys that from the minute they speak, they, you know, they kind of demand respect and the respect's given to them. And I mean, how can you obviously not listen to those three guys if you want to base it off playing careers as well? So I think they kind of are some of those guys that have the full package and a great understanding of the game. Were you a, a JV fan growing up? Were you a Veltman guy? I was a big Veltman fan, but uh, I had a soft spot. I was always the goalie in mini sticks, so I was a Watson guy. <laughs> so. um, another one, uh, uh, let's, let's speak, keep with the goalie trend here. Uh, Evan Kirk has, has really taken his game to a new level this year, hasn't he? Uh, depends who you ask. I mean, I've grown up and played against Evan and played with Evan, and that's Evan. Um, yeah. he's, he's a phenomenal goalie. Uh, in my opinion, he sometimes got put in tough situations right. with, you know, arguably not the best or the best structured defenses in front of him. And, uh, I mean, to have a guy like that that you can look back and rely on and the way he can alter a game and his positivity. And he kind of gets into that category with our coaches. He demands mm-hmm. respect. And everyone, when he talks, listens as well. So, I mean, am I surprised? No, but at the same time, it, I, it's unbelievable to see him, uh, you know, kind of take his game to a next level. But you know, to me, it's it's just that Kirky in a sense. Absolutely, uh, the guy that you know everybody looks at when they look at the, the success of this team, for the most part, and, and not again, kind of like you said, not taking away from anybody. 
but the addition of Sean Evans to your team, I don't think anybody could have expected how much he would have affected you, but nobody's surprised at it. I mean, he's the baby. I mean, he's just – he. you can't watch a guy at his size and his heart compete and not want to do it with him. Um, It's one of those things too, where a lot of Sean's game isn't necessarily just scoring goals. Like if you watch his cause turnovers, his loose balls, um, sometimes the way he'll stand up to guys, you know, almost twice his size. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's incredible to watch. And I mean, I've obviously always been a, Sean Evans fan except from 07 to or <laughs> 05 to 07 yeah. but other than that I mean playing with him in Peterborough the way that he has kind of given himself to the game when you look at him and Selfer's company with Nationwide and how he's trying to spread his knowledge and I think that's what a lot of people might not see about Sean is mm-hmm. his knowledge of the game and how it practices if something's not working, how, you know, he can somehow alter it and it just seems to run smooth. And, you know, you can't give him too much credit because then he starts to, you know, walk a little taller. So we'll just try to keep him the way he's playing right now. So I think everyone's pretty happy with it. Uh, the Wolves are indeed running. Uh, you guys are, are leading the East. Um, it's been an incredible rise for this club, but obviously you're not happy with where you're at. What does this team, you know, you're all, at four and two, it's great, but what does this team need to work on to be better? Um, just always adapting to what's going on. Uh, like you said, uh, it's only four wins. I mean, if you have two back-to-back weekends, someone ties us. I mm-hmm. mean, we're far, far, far away from where we want to be. Um, we're going to take each game at a time. We're, obviously, you've seen in this league, you don't overlook anybody. Um, yeah. It's such a tight league, and I mean, until you hopefully have a shot at the playoffs, I mean, that's when you start to think about now, how do you get home floor? But right now, for us, it's just about one game at a time, getting better each game and moving forward. What's the atmosphere like at that at the casino? Because, you know, you watch it online, and, and it seems like it, it's growing. It seems like people are getting more understanding of the game, more involved in the atmosphere. When when you are are there as a player or as a guy sitting in the stands, what's the atmosphere really like there? It's uh, it's actually very very intense. I mean, a lot of these people that are there are lacrosse fans. I mean, I know mm-hmm. sometimes the crowds can get bigger depending on which events are going on. I mean, I think for our next game, Luke Bryan's there on the Friday and Saturday night. So wow. I mean, you got to also remember that we're competing with, you know honestly rock stars and superstars of that magnitude but Mm -hmm. these fans are still coming out to see us and supporting us and when you look in the crowd there is a lot of black wolf shirts there's a lot of black wolf jerseys and you know we talked about it they're lacrosse fans yeah they're happy they know what goes on it doesn't have to be sean evans scoring a goal if you have a kid like ryan hotelling win a bunch of face-offs and get a bunch of loose balls people realize he played a good game it's not just the fact that it's always about you know uh, the goal scoring, in fact, and the winning. These are actual fans at our after parties. You know, you go out to, you know, this Aruga's restaurant, and you have fans there wanting to see you. You have young kids who want guys' autographs. They want to learn the game of indoor lacrosse. And, you know, the Mohegan's, uh, Mohegan Sun Tribe, as well as the Black Wolves, are doing a great job getting us out there and putting us in situations where we can try to promote the game and get to know fans on a personal level so that when they tell their friends about it, they want to come out and support as well. 
how important is it from a player's perspective to get out in the community and and and, and teach people the game and, and shake hands? Um, I think it it could arguably be the most important. I mean, you look at teams like Buffalo and Colorado who have great fan support. They're in the school communities. They're always going out and seeing people. They're involved with the cancer societies. I mean, I think in order to be successful, you have to get in the community. I mean, it's kind of how are you not going to support the people that are supporting you, right? And there's ever anything you can do as far as your community goes or, you know, special events and stuff for them. I think it just speaks volumes about, uh, you know, what you're trying to do and how you can grow that game within that city. The atmosphere around uh, Mohegan Sun Casino, everything around there, the restaurants and the concert halls and the, and the arena is incredible. And it's starting to become a place that guys are really looking forward to going to just because there's so much going on. What's your favorite road rink? Uh, ooh. I mean, I can't give you too much credit because if I say Vancouver, I'll never hear the end of it. But uh, obviously, you love the West Coast and getting out there. But uh, me personally, I would have to say Colorado. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got 14,000 fans and I don't have the best reputation from Minnesota there. So I sometimes get some nice compliments and stuff from their crowd and yeah. kind of motivate you and you want to be there. And I mean, you see the guys live there and they enjoy it. And you know, their fans, like I said, are just rabid. So you, you can kind of really enjoy playing there. Do you wish, um, even though you're a member of the Black Wolves, do you wish that the Swarm had stayed in Minnesota? Um, I truly wish the Swarm would have stayed in Minnesota for the fans there. The fans yeah. there were incredible. Um, yeah, absolutely. A great five seasons. I mean, at times, was it not the biggest crowds? Yes, but they were, you know, they were loyal to a T, and that was one of those things where we did a great job getting out in the community, having first-name bases with the fans. And, mm -hmm. I mean, I think you could really see – how much they were hurt when the team moved. Obviously, there's a lot more to it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I wish there would have been the cross there. I mean, my grandparents lived there for 25 years, so I've been going there since I've been alive. And then oh, to, live, to live there and, you know, watch the sport grow and stuff. I mean, I still don't think lacrosse is slowing down by any means in Minnesota. And uh, the new commissioner has talked about expanding the league. So I have no doubt in my mind eventually there will be a team back there. I remember – my first years there and and the crowds were were up and down just like they had been every year but i don't think i've seen um a fan base in such a non-traditional market there was lacrosse in colorado there was a market there but when minnesota got an nll team it was very new and the fans were supportive there from day one until the final days and like you said it, it was unfortunate for those fans because there were a lot of guys uh, that were season ticket holders from day one that just had their team ripped up from them. So we do hope that the National Cross, it goes back there. We want it to go back to Philly. We want it to go back to Edmonton. If you had a choice, where would you put a team? Ah, uh, if I had a choice. Um, you can't say Orangeville. The, you can't say I Orangeville. I was about to say, I guess the Bills. <laughs> uh, uh, I kind of like the approach that Saskatchewan took with kind of going to a new market. Um mm -hmm. Obviously, being a bit biased, I would stay Canadian, and I would say possibly a Winnipeg-type market where yeah. the junior roots have a lot of great lacrosse players come through there, kind of like how it was in Calgary before the Roughnecks were there where, you know, guys like Jeff Snyder would go play in BC. There's kids going from Winnipeg to play in Calgary now. So, yeah. I mean, you'd love to see it be a snowball effect. So, 
if I had to pick, I would uh, hopefully get on board with the Jets down there, or maybe even the Blue Bombers, and try to figure out a way to kind of intertwine it with the, one of those two teams because they have great support. I think you bring up the, the the fact of Saskatchewan is incredible because there was a market that's, that was starving for um, uh, an action-packed winter team, and then they have the Blades there, but I don't think it's the same environment, and the lacrosse is doing so well there. I think going to Winnipeg would be an incredible option. Um, I think going back to Montreal and Ottawa would be huge, but I think the way Commissioner Sakevich is going about this is the right thing. He wants to talk to every market that's involved. Um, have you had a chance to, to talk with the new commissioner? Yes, I met him uh, quickly when we had that exhibition game in Allentown, and mm-hmm. it's great to hear he's bringing something fresh. And, I mean, you have to trust the ownership group that we have. I think it's one of the best in sports, and, you know, they're going out to try to better this league, and how how can you not kind of get on board with that and support that? You were a guy when and, – and it wasn't your only thing, but you were a guy who played both ends of the floor – mainly D to transition, but you were a guy that liked to drop the mitts and fight. Uh, Sean Evans, when he first came in the league, he was a no guy, but he had no issues dropping the gloves and, and having a good fight. But we're starting to see yourself and him and even Jeff Snyder in his later days moved away from the fighting. It, does fighting still have a place in lacrosse? Um, I truly believe it does. And once again, probably pretty biased of me, but at the same time, and I can kind of relate this to summer lacrosse is, I see a lot more, and I watch it this summer very religiously, you see a lot more stick work and stuff like that. I'm not saying that at every time one player gets slashed, it should happen. But if there's heated games where there's cheap shots being thrown and stuff like that, and two guys willingly agree to do it, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, you know, 10- and 12-year-olds, right? We're men who are agreeing to take part in this. I don't mind it when it's two people that agree. I absolutely hate it when it's someone not giving someone an option. Yeah. Um, but I truly feel that, I mean, it, there is places for it. I mean, one guy that I think is a perfect example of it is, you know, a young kid like Billy Hawstraws are in Toronto, right? Yeah. I mean, he sticks up for his teammates. I mean, even the one he got in, he's sticking up for a guy that's six five. Yeah. yeah. I still think that I still think there's a place for it. Um, obviously very biased. And I think, when you look too, I mean, in the NHL, I mean, fans still enjoy it. If fans really dislike it that much, and it would ruin sports. But yeah. if you want to look at the sports where there's kind of a part of it, it does take place. I mean, I still think there's a place, but obviously there's a time for it as well. Absolutely. Did you have a favorite tough guy, uh, whether it be a hockey guy or a lacrosse guy? Um, I was a, obviously a big Jeff Snyder fan. Uh, growing up, uh, he was actually friends with my father as well. So the way Jeff treated me growing up and stuff, and then obviously being a Toronto guy, you couldn't like the surgeon. So, yeah. uh, you know, I was a big Timmy O fan as well. And I mean, I was always just a fan of that stuff, but I also liked the guys that played both ends and the guys that played a lot. I mean, uh, Rusty Kruger was one of my mm-hmm. favorite players growing yeah. up. And, uh, obviously he liked to do it and he also played both ends. So, I think depending on, you know, what your mindset is and what your what your kind of goal is with your game is if you pick guys to model your game after, I mean, those do rub off on you, right? So, um, but, yeah, I would have to say definitely Snide, definitely the surgeon and yeah. uh, Krug for sure. What hurts more, punching a fa- getting punched in the face or punching a face mask? 
I would definitely say punching a face mask. Uh, yeah. You never know kind of where you could hit it or how your hand could do. But at the same time, I mean, I, and I, I truly believe that even when guys do fight, it's not always to try to hurt each other. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously to get the upper hand. I'm not going to go in and say, oh, sorry or anything like that. But um, you definitely – I don't think you're there to try to end a guy's career by no. any means or anything like that. Uh, we talked about uh, Orangeville. Uh, what's the real Ville? Oakville or Orangeville? Ah, uh, I mean, I would have to say Orangeville once again, bias. But I mean, I don't know. I would have to. I'd have to say Orangeville. I mean, we finally got. We're hosting the Founders Cup this year, so yeah. hopefully we get a little recognition. And you know, it's uh, it's a great little town. And I mean, lacrosse is you know very very uh well followed here but i'd be lying if i didn't shout out you know to peterborough too because mm-hmm. i mean that's a lacrosse following like no other um is mike teeter as wild as his snapchats are um i would say wilder <laughs> wilder yeah yeah you should uh just you can sometimes ask some of his friends how many phones he's gone through that's <laughs> well is is it time for him to get a shot in the National Cross League? Um, I truly think there's an opportunity for him. Uh, obviously, being a left-handed player is great, too. Um, you have to obviously just get put in the right situation and in the right type of offense. I mean, mm-hmm. if you have an offense that runs a strict one-on-one type offense and a player like T kind of doesn't fit in, but if you have a outside shooting with guys crashing in the middle, then, yeah, there's an opportunity. I truly feel that out of most of the guys that aren't in the league that I play summer ball against and the guys I watch out West, there are a lot of players that are just waiting for their opportunity. And hopefully with the, you know, talked about expansion or if expansion happens, that'll happen. A couple more minutes here with Andrew Suter before we let him go. Uh, We had Patty Merrill on the show last week and, and you know, Patty from your time at the Hill. Uh, How was your time there? What was it like as, as a student going to the Hill Academy? Um, it was uh, definitely eye-opening for me. Um, I never really had aspirations of going down to the U.S. to play kind of college lacrosse. And Brody and Patrick and their dad, Peter, kind of opened my eyes to, I mean, and to kind of make it a possibility. Um, it was something that, you know, wasn't easy for them, as I'm sure you know, and a lot of mm-hmm. people vouch for trying to change a 16 and 17 year old kid from doing something he's done and that. So, I mean, they took kind of lacrosse and made it actually a lifestyle kind of thing, uh, yeah. as far as practicing each day, introducing us to what the weight room was, um, getting our meals proper that we would have at the lunchtime. Right. So they, uh, they were a huge part of, you know, introducing me to the field lacrosse game getting me down south and then even to this day you look at what they're doing right now and it's quite incredible and you look at you got second generation guys now i mean this jeff t uh dan's son is yeah unbelievable player and you know there's a lot of great players going there and a lot of these kids are going you know not to just a division one school they're going to a top 10 contender and they have the opportunity to play so I think what Brody, Patrick, and Peter have done is, you know, phenomenal for Canadians in lacrosse. And, you know, you have to be happy about it, and you have to kind of admire the fact that they were willing to take a chance that not very many people would take. And 
it's turned out positively to them. So I couldn't be happy as an alumni, and I couldn't be happier for three great people. You know, you have the alumni connection with, with Orangeville, and they always have, you know, fun golf tournaments and hockey tournaments and stuff like that. Is there a, a good group of, of Hill alumni that get together and, and rally around that team? Oh, very much so. And uh, it, even though it might not be at the events because it's so far sometimes with who they're playing and where they're playing, yeah. I mean, I, you see a lot of the guys follow their Twitter accounts. I mean, a lot mm. of these guys that are still in college were wearing number 45 for a huge part of, you know, the Hill's success and an unfortunate event that, you know, they've kind of made a tradition with them now and the mm. utmost respect you have to have for these players that are altering their numbers to be a part of that tradition. So um, I think that, uh, you know, you have nothing but positivity. What does the number 45 mean to you? Um, it means a lot to me because obviously being a Hill student, but more than anything, like we talked about the lacrosse community, it's uh, I have so much respect for the guys that wear it. Um, and it's just the way that you hear people speak about Jameson and how he was as a player and a human. It's something I'm very proud of that, you know, I had a chance to go to the same school that he was at. And I mean, number 45 to me will always be a big part because I'm a Hill alumni Mm-hmm. And more than anything, I'm a lacrosse fan. Um, before we let you go, uh, one of the reasons I, I was talking with Patty last week was because of his knee injury, and, of course, you've been through it twice. Is the, is the turf an issue? Is it something that the league needs to look at? Um, I don't really know. I mean, I don't want to say yes and no, because for all I know, I could have heard it playing on cement, and it was just yeah. blue. So. For me to say that, um, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, uh, it'd be very easy for me to say yes right now just because of the unfortunate two tweaks I had. But mm-hmm. I would never say – I mean, that's something that we have great doctors, and if there was an issue with that, I think the doctors would do something. Um, I think it's just bad luck or bad catching. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's not something I really have a straight answer on because – I don't know, to be quite honest with you. I yeah. mean, That's I, fair, man. My, my two, I didn't get, have anything kind of touch me, but was it something, was I not prepared? Did I not stretch properly? So you have to t- take a look at yeah, so many aspects. I would never like to really say yes or no to that. I mean, I don't know, so there's there's no good answer. I would say no, but I think that, like I said, if there was something that needed to be looked at, the doctors and the ownership group, because mm-hmm. the owners don't like it either, right? Yeah, of course. And, you look at guys in Toronto, I mean, uh, sure, they would love to have Damon right now, and they're finally just getting Scotty J back. And then you look at Colorado, lost Tyler Condon in camp. So, I mean, I don't think that if it was a huge issue there were, or if there was something that could be changed, it would have been. Yeah. Uh, you guys, as mentioned off the top, you guys are off this weekend, so you get to go a little bit harder in practice. But is there a hope that we see you in two weeks? Uh, there's always hope. Um, if it was up to me, it'd be a yes. Cause that's, you know, might be a game that I'd be pretty excited to play in too. But at the same time, like I said, I mean, I'm not a guy that's going to come in and take a spot if someone doesn't deserve to come out. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with that as well. I'm okay being a cheerleader for now and until I'm healthy and, you know, every kind of week you get stronger. So, um, uh, to give you a solid answer, the answer would probably be no, but is there always a little bit of hope? Yes. 
Dude, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. You're uh, one of the classiest guys in all of lacrosse. I, I hope you uh, speed recovering that you are back in two weeks, but uh, your character says everything about your answer. You're never going to take a spot from a guy who doesn't deserve to come out. So uh, congratulations on getting healthy, and we can't wait to see you back on the floor. Thanks a lot, Teddy. We'll talk to you soon. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the world of lacrosse, Andrew Suter. Uh, he's been through two major knee surgeries after injuring his knee in the National Lacrosse League uh, with New England last year, with uh, Minnesota a few years ago. And you just you feel for the guy because there aren't too many guys as passionate as he is. And you can just hear in his voice that he's itching to get back out there. But, you know, I talked, he talked about his character. I talked about it a bit there at the end. The fact... A, that he's sort of their captain. Sean Evans is wearing the C until Suter gets back. But as a captain, he says all the right things. More importantly, he understands the importance of team first and how well this team's playing. You know he's itching to get back in the lineup. And if the coach and coaches say, hey, the doctors have cleared you, you're in, he's going to jump. But if Glenn Clark went up to Andrew Suter and said, hey, you know what? I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're clear to play. But we kind of want to see where this group can go. Suits would be like, hey, man, I'm cool with it. It might sting a little bit. It might hurt to continue having to watch. But the fact that he says, you know what, I don't want to take a spot from a guy that's earned it just speaks volumes for Andrew Suter. Now, in saying that, I don't think there's any way that... Glenn Clark, Jim Veltman, Tracy Kluski, and their GM and everybody else, Rod Lissick. You know, I don't think any of those guys are going to say, hey, you know what, Suits is healthy. Should we play him? I don't think so. Maybe not. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think much like Vancouver's doing with Tyler Haas and they're doing with Rory Smith, you, once a guy is healthy, great. That's awesome. But you got to put him through a lot of tests to make sure that he's 100, 100% healthy. And, you know, working in practice is one thing. Working out with a trainer is another thing. But being in full game mode is completely different. And having done uh, and gone through knee surgery myself, I know that the impact that happens in practice isn't always the same as what happens in a game. Teammates often take it a little bit easier on guys, and of course that's going to happen. But the fact that they have this week off and he can get in like a full practice, and you know Suits is going to bang and crash and say, hey man, hit me. Like, hit me hard. Let me know how it feels, and he's going to do everything he can to get back in the lineup. You know that if he is ready to go in two weeks, he will be in that game against the Georgia Swarm, and would he love to play in that game? A longtime member of the Minnesota Swarm and then traded uh, straight up captain for captain last year for Joel White. It'll be great to see Suits back in. So that kind of wraps up last week. We're heading into uh, week eight. Two games Friday, two games Saturday. All games are on Fox Sports Go. Uh, Buffalo versus Toronto in a huge game, mostly for Toronto. Because I said, either 0-6, if they go 0-7, I think they're starting a five-game homestand. And they have to take on both Buffalo and Rochester in that homestand. 
It's make or break time. Also on Friday, Rochester at Saskatchewan. And then Saturday, Georgia at Buffalo and Calgary at Vancouver. The Calgary-Vancouver game is huge. Calgary up just a half game on the stealth. And if Vancouver wins, they'll jump over Calgary into third. If Calgary wins, Vancouver drops even further back of the pack, and that's not good for anybody. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see how things play out. I'm going to be watching all these games very closely. Unfortunately, I can't make it to the game in Vancouver this weekend, but I know the commissioner is going to be in town, so some of you fans might get a little opportunity to meet with Nick Sakavich. If you do, pick his brain. Uh, Ask him. Don't just ask him the typical where are we going to expand to next. Literally, invest some time and pick his brain and and get to know him and understand why he thinks the way he thinks and what makes him tick because he continues to impress and he is doing a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that moving forward, the National Cross League is in a strong position to succeed. And we can all be thankful for that. So four games this weekend, two Friday, two Saturday. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks to Andrew Suter for stopping by. We were hoping to have Sean Pollock, uh, but he was dealing with some family matters. We're going to talk about that next week, and it's just great stuff. The story uh, of him and his wife Jenna is remarkable. Um, he has officially announced his retirement from, from lacrosse, and so he's, he, he's focusing on family, and that is a family that has been through a lot in a short amount of time. And it'll be great to talk to my former teammate, Sean Pollock, next week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Uh, Check out my SoundCloud page. Um, I will post links to it later on. Uh, I had a great chat with AJ Joma from the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League and Alberta Lacrosse and CLA about what is going on in Alberta. They just accepted the Saskatchewan SWAT into their junior league. Uh, They'd already been playing in the junior B league of the Rocky Mountain League. They're now going to be playing in the junior A league. So uh, I'm going to post that interview uh, on my SoundCloud page a little later this week, so make sure you check out for that. And of course, as always, Thursday, look out for my 30 thoughts as I ramble on from my concussed brain as I do right here on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening, as always. Thanks to Suits, and I thank you in the National Lacrosse League for giving me this platform to talk to you each and every day. Off the crossbar on Twitter, teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. I'll talk to you in a week's time. Enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.